Welcome to Mission Impact, the podcast for progressive nonprofit leaders who want to build a better world without becoming a martyr to the cause. I'm Carol Hamilton, your host and nonprofit consultant. On this podcast, we explore how to make your organization more effective and innovative. We dig into how to build organizational cultures where your work in the world is aligned with how you work together as staff, board members, and volunteers, all for the purpose of creating greater mission impact. My guest today is Rosalind Spiegel. In her work with clients, Rosalind designs and facilitates strategic planning and implementation, leadership development and coaching, professional development and capacity building initiatives. A longer version of her bio can be found in the show notes. Rosalind and I discuss organizational values. That may seem a little esoteric and lofty, but what I appreciate about our conversation is how we get into how to make those really practical. Too often I find that when people engage in conversations about values, a nice list gets identified, maybe even put up on a wall of an office in the before times or on a website, but too rarely do folks take the time to really define what those values look like in the day-to-day life of the organization. What are the behaviors that we agree demonstrate that value? What are the norms that we can all agree to aspire to? All right. Well, welcome, Rosalind. It's great to have you on the Mission Impact podcast. It's great to be here. Thanks so much for having me. So just to give people some context, I'd like to ask you kind of what drew you into the work that you do? What what motivates you? What would you describe or how would you describe your why? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, particularly getting ready for the show today, you know, I thought about my values, right? Because we're going to be talking about values. Um and um, so I, I do want to help give organizations and the people in them a better understanding of where they are and where they're going, why they're stuck, you know, how they can unstuck themselves, unstick themselves. Um, you know, but certainly the bigger, and I'm sure when I've heard, you know, your guests say one version or another of this is that, you know, we want to make the world, want to help make the world a better place, right? So that's the big picture. And then specifically with organizations, just to have them to fulfill their missions more effectively, productively, and joyfully. So yeah, you mentioned that you really use center values when you are doing work with organizations. Why do you think they're so important? And well, I'll just start start there. What's so important about values and people being clear, not just about their personal values, but then collective values within an organization? Sure. I was listening to some of your other podcasts. And by the way, I really love these conversational interviews that you do. Folks out there, if you haven't heard other episodes, I encourage you to do that. Um, uh, Really, I mean, because when I listen to other consultants do what they do and how they do, it's really helpful to me and you know, anything I can do to bring more value to my clients by listening to shows like yours, I think is really valuable. So it felt like values were really a resting place for many of the conversational interviews you've had so far. And I really wanted to stir this values conversation up, you know, and talk about them more explicitly, because it's not just that we work with these nonprofits that have terrific missions and visions, right? It's how an organization goes about fulfilling their mission, vision, programs um, that really 
is as important, I think, as the mission itself, right? So how an organization treats its people, how an organization treats its clients, um, its members, its vendors, its board, its funders, it's all that, right? And everything an organization should do, it do, should be driven by its values, including what an organization says yes and no to, right? Which we can talk about a little later on. And also the values and how that organization defines those values um, really gives people a sense of, yes, this is an organization I want to be a part of. You know, as a consultant, this is an organization I want to consult to. You know, for my own values, my values include uh, equity and engagement and capacity building. So if I'm doing some strategic planning work with a client, um, the process of getting to that strategic plan really includes you know, capacity building, it includes sharing some process, it includes uh, implementation planning, right? Because I want an organization to be able to fulfill on its plan. And if an organization expects me to drop a strategic plan on my way out the door, then that's not really a client I'm interested in working with, right? Because I just can't stand all the time and effort that goes into a strategic plan and then not have it go anywhere, right? But in, but engaging people along the way, engaging levels of system in the plan itself, I mean, I know you and I share a value that people who are impacted by the change should be a part of the change process, right? But not only is that just a good idea to help give the strategic plan some legs. It also helps make sure that that plan gets implemented over time, or maybe that's the same thing. So yeah, so I think that that's sort of the part of why I want to talk about values. But yeah, and then we can talk sort of a little bit about how organizations define those values, because I think yeah, that's an important think, piece. Well, I think sometimes people are, are a little bit leery and maybe even myself as a consultant about having those group processes around writing a mission statement or a, va a vision statement or you know value statements and just being afraid of either it being too abstract or anything written by a committee you can you can just see it in the language uh, <laughs> that kind of disjointed stone soup uh, sentences that you end up with kind of everything in the pot right I'm, I'm curious about how you approach that so that you know, people really get a chance to dig into what's important to them in terms of their values without it feeling like it kind of draws momentum out of that planning process. Yes. Well, right. And that's so great, right? Because the way you come up, the way an organization comes up with its values is in and of itself a reflection of its values, right? So if you've got three leaders in a room coming up with an, with the organization's values and they say that engagement and collaboration are values, then that's off, right? That's inauthentic, right? I mean, unless your values are, you know, like domination and control, right? <laughs> then it's okay for three people to dictate what those values are, but probably that's not the case. So, you know, how do you bring people in from different levels of the system to come up with the values? And then that's, that's just the first piece, right? So one of the things I've done is, well, in the before times, but, but even in, in these times, right? When I'm doing even a check-in for a values conversation, I'll have a list now, because we will go in anyway, another long story about how we're working online. But, you know, I'll have a list of values that I've either inferred from the organization or that may even be listed on their website. Or, you know, if you've worked with a client before and they have agreements that they, you know, sort of at the beginning of meetings, you can infer what the values are from those two. But I'll put a list together in such a way that like at least a couple of individuals are picking the same word. Right. So in the check in, when people talk about 
here's the word I picked and why I picked it, why it resonates with me. You can hear already that one per, a couple, three people can pick the same word and it's different. They define it differently. It resonates differently. And so it's the same in organizations, right? It's like, let's find out what those words are, right? We can talk about how to do that in a second. And then how do we as an organization define those words? So one way I've done this is to have people think individually about a big, huge success the organization has had, like this big, hairy victory, this great thing that we did, and it ticked all the success boxes, and sort of reflect on that for a minute, and then mix people up into small groups. Again, how that's done could be a reflection of the values. Do you mix people up across department, across function, you know, just by whoever's sitting next to each other, whatever, right? And then in those small groups, they sort of think about what was going on that had that thing be such a success? Like, how are we operating? How are we treating each other? Um, what was happening? What, you know, like, who did we, who else did we include? Were there people we included we didn't normally include, right? Did we show up on time? We're like, what was it that happened, right? And so they're having these small conversations. And then in the report outs, um, when you've gotten the whole group back together, the consultant can begin to list these things. Because often you have to get to values kind of backing into them through behavior, right? So then the consultant can begin to a list of, and I got this from another colleague of mine, um, Stacy Heath, who's out on the West Coast. She's like, values on one side of the flip chart or Google Doc, you know, behaviors on another, and um, really have the client think about what's a behavior and what's a value. How are you defining these things, right? Because respect could be both, for example. So how how are they defining all that stuff? So then you begin to get a sense of what the words are and what the behavioral indicators are. So that's great, right? So hopefully at the end of this process, you've got, uh, let's say, five values, because I know you've seen this too, like you've seen websites that have 14 values, and that's kind of meaningless, because right, you just can't keep track of all that. So and, and, uh, can you give people an example of kind of what might be on the value side and what might be on the behavior side? Sure. Like for respect, for for instance, right? So yeah, respect, respect could is be a great one, because everybody wants it. And everybody experiences it differently. I feel like. Right. Well, yes. And that's, oh my God, we're getting, that's a whole other thing about how we, you know, bring, bring equity into systems as well. But right. So respect could be, um, right. You show up to meetings on time. You do what you say you're going to do. You don't roll your eyes when somebody makes a comment, right. Those could be behavioral indicators of respect. So, right. And really kind of getting specific about what does that mean? And that's definitely part of one of the next steps too. So once we've got the words, how does this organization define those words, right? So respect could mean something different in a women's organization than it does to an education organization or a social justice organization or a homeless organization, right? So how do we define these words for us? And then what are those behavioral indicators at an individual, at a group team or department level? and at an organization level. So you've got, you know, sort of all that going on, but wait, there's more, right? Because then how do you begin to really operationalize those and what are the mechanisms, what are the practices that we can sort of uh, um, adopt to make sure that we're adhering to those values, right? That we're behaving in a way that's consistent with our values. Can you give me an example of, um, again, or what might be some of those practices that organizations then start, like when you've been working with a client, what you've seen kind of through that process? 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's a great one um, that I got from uh, Robert Gass, who does the Art of Transformational Consulting. He's got a lot of great resources on, on the website, the Social Transformation Project website. This one's called Ouch and Educate. And it's basically a feedback loop. It's basically when you said X, I felt Y because, right? And I just mentioned equity a little bit earlier. That is sort of a little bit of a soapbox of mine, but often nonprofits are white capped, right? They're white led, white boards. Um, and they want to have BIPOC folks as part of their leadership, which is great. And the step that they skip is how do we prepare ourselves to welcome others onto our board, right? And so you don't just start, you don't like just start doing equity when you've got a BIPOC person sitting on your board, right? Because then they leave in a year and you wonder why. So this out and educate is a way that organizations and boards or staff can kind of begin to practice what they preach. So let's say you, Carol and I are at our board meeting with a bunch of other white people and or mostly white men say, and you say something and nobody pays much attention to it. And then like three minutes later, Charles says the same thing. And people go, hmm, that's a good idea. Now, I might, I'm sure you've never experienced that, right? Never. Never, right. <laughs> never happened. So I might not catch it, right? Because I'm just as, as sort of susceptible to sexism as everybody else, right? And white women can tend to be a little competitive. So I may or may not, or I may even notice it and not know what to say, right? Um, but if you've got something like uh, a commitment in place for collaboration, engagement, respect, equity, whatever, and a mechanism like Out and Educate, you know, you could say, hey, Charles, when I said that three minutes ago, nobody really paid any attention to it. And and now when you said something, I noticed that people thought it was a great idea. And because of that, I'm feeling kind of invisible, or that made me feel invisible, right? And, or I might have the wherewithal to say, hey, you know, Charles, I noticed Carol said that a few minutes ago, and I'm really glad you amplified it, but I'd kind of like to hear Carol's original thinking around that, right? The trick here is that, and here's sort of the thing about this ouch and educate process, it's like the trick is for Charles to get, oh, wow, thanks for pointing that out to me right? I'm sorry, I missed that. I know we have a commitment to this and I'm going to try and do better next time, right? That's, that's the right answer. The wrong answer is for Charles to go, oh, I didn't mean to, you're misinterpreting me. That wasn't my intention because that's kind of a showstopper. So if the commitment is let's sort of practice these values, then there's also commitment to learning from, you know, I said this thing, thank you for telling me this thing was felt off to you and I'm going to try and do better next time because we're all part of this team and we all want to make sure that whoever is part of the team feels heard. Right. It's so interesting that you describe it as an ouch and educate because I'm in a group where I don't know whether it's organically or somebody already kind of was aware of this, but we, we've come to say, you know, literally say ouch when something like that happens as a kind of, I mean, in a way it's a kind of gentle way of kind of saying, oh, something just happened, you know, oftentimes before it might have been just like, oh, or feeling tight or something, but just having a very simple thing to say to kind of acknowledge what's just happened can then 
kind of create the space to be able to say some of the things like you, you talked about of, you know, when you said this, I felt this, and the meaning I made of it was Y, and I wish that you would do X in the future. But just having that simple thing in the very moment when your brain you know, when that happens to you, you're, you're just kind of, sh- you know, well, you can be just kind of shut down or, you know, flooded with emotion. And so you're not, you know, you know, may not have that tool of that, that lovely little Mad Lib uh, to fill in um, at your right. fingertips right. <laughs> while right. you're in the moment. Um, so, you know, having something simple like that, I think is, gives, gives people a little bit of breathing space to then articulate what they need to say. Yeah, I love that. I love that because, you know, you can feel it, right? It's like, oh, something about that didn't feel right. But in that moment, you might not be able to really put it together. Just so to say that ouch and then give yourself a minute to think about why it was an ouch. And yeah, oh, that's great. I do love that. That's awesome. Yeah, and I love what you're talking about in terms of behaviors and practices because I think um, and and it's interesting when you describe that process. I've I've done a, a similar process um, but thinking I, it, it to the intention of coming coming up with kind of a charter or agreement for a group that's working together, and you know starting again with that kind of good experience of you know when you've worked either you know this team or a different team when you've worked on one that worked really well, and then kind of what made that work well, and you know what were those elements. But you know when I first did it, I think I stopped at that first level, but then when literally the the conversation around respect where when we pushed it one more level to the behaviors of how that's demonstrated, you know, how do you experience respect or how is that demonstrated to you? We had people who, who talked on the same team, completely diametrically opposing answers. Mm. One was people don't interrupt me. Another person, it was, I get into the flow of the conversation and we can interrupt each other and it's great and that's fine. So, you know, it was like, okay, well, what do we do with that? If we hadn't had that conversation, we would have left it at respect. One person thinking, well, that means no one's ever going to interrupt me. And the other person means thinking, wow, that means we can have this, quote, juicy conversation where it's just flowing and I can interrupt anybody I want. Right. Oh, yeah. That's perfect. That's perfect. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. To really kind of give people the freedom to sort of have those conversations, to give people a way to in a way to have those conversations. Um, it just reminded me, I was I worked with this organization's grassroots social justice organization, super progressive, really awesome, and had BIPOC white folks on the board. And at the strategic planning retreat, uh, one of the black board members said, you know, I love you guys. I love this organization. I love the mission. I love what we're doing. And there's almost never a board meeting that goes by where I don't experience some microaggression. And that was so sad to me. And you could just see people kind of, because, I mean, they're all about that, right? They're all about equity and social justice. And so, um, you know. Can you define what a microaggression is? Yes. 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 It's a sort of a small. So maybe an example would be, you know, we're in a meeting and one of the guys says, hey, Carol, can you go get us some coffee? Right. So it's just sort of this. It's it's a. I can't even find the words, you know, it's sort of a, a behavior and action, a request, a demand, a, an interaction in which one person feels like they're being subordinated in some way. Does that, is that how yeah, you yeah, think yeah. of it too? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think I just, you know, sometimes when we, I just want to make sure the ter- terms get defined. So thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Or why don't you take the minutes, you know? Like... Right. <laughs> 
Not that either of us have ever experienced that either. Right. As two white um, women, I think we're, we're rattling off all the common ones for, for women. <laughs> yeah. Especially me, since I'm of a certain age, definitely have experienced that. Yeah. So it's interesting. So I, there's another thing that I was thinking of too, when, when we're doing this values work, um, because, you know, it's a, it's a bit, you know, we do process consultation, right? So we go into organizations with some great process, some great questions, because we believe that the client can come up with its own answers and solutions, right? So maybe like a whole other conversation about to what degree to client, you know, to consultants come in with, you know, recommendations, with the guidance, with whatever. So I actually do come into these values conversation with a list of values, Right. I mean, I know organizations can come up with them. People come up with them, too. But it just seems to be very helpful for folks to have like a page or, you know, a friend of mine put together like 500 values cards. Right. That's that's maybe a bit much. But, you know, like a page where people can go, oh, yeah, you know, patience or generosity or empathy or courage or, you know, so that they have those words. And it just I think it makes it easier for them. I don't know if you found that as well. And when, when you're saying that you're you're looking at, and, and what's so interesting for me about this conversation is I think about the thing that I've experienced in the nonprofit sector and over the years is kind of that disconnect between a, a mission, you know, good work out in the world, and then how people are treated inside the organization. And I think part of that is you're able to look at the statements that the organization is making, maybe, you know, the conversations that you've had with folks already. So you already have a sense of, you're kind of taking all of that implied information and then putting it, making it explicit and putting it down on a piece of paper and saying, okay, these are the, you know, whatever, five, six, seven values that I'm seeing. So what it sounds to me like is, is you're tailoring it to the organization based on what your, your experience of them versus, you know, a generic sheet of, you know, here, here's, here's the, you know, 50 values, pick three of the most important ones for you. So that, yeah, I think that's, it often does help to, to not start with that blank blank slate, but give something to people to, give people something to react to. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and, and I wanna pick up on something else you just said too, because you know, once you've kind of clarified the values, defined them, indicators, mechanisms, all that, then it really is, um, and I think Tip talked about this too, Tip Fallon, one of your other guests, um, you know, sort of how does this look, in ter- how, how are our values embedded in our processes and practices? How do we, you know, treat each other? Who, who gets promoted and why, right? Um, how, what kind or, or do we even, you know, subsidize professional development and what kind of professional development? Um, how do we and where do we put out our job postings? And do we make sure that the language isn't excluding on any particular identities, right? So there are all the ways in which this can really get embedded in processes as well, sort of organizational processes. So when you look at how you embed these things at all levels of system, you know, you just reminded me about that too. Yeah. Yeah. And then, um, you know, the example that you were starting to talk about in terms of the, the social justice organization that you mentioned and, and then um, the black uh, board member saying, yeah, and we, we, we have all these values, we have this mission, we do this work, and I'm still experiencing this. Um, so I'm curious then what kind of came out of that conversation. Yeah, I don't want to suppose what might have happened. So Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. how that became right. kind of an education moment. Yeah, yeah, And, and that gap, I'm sure people just were, 
I can imagine how chagrined they felt of, wow, we're, we really think we're doing the good thing. And yeah. We're still, we're still susceptible to these. Yeah. Yeah. And they are. And of course, right. And that board member didn't assume any bad intention. Right. I mean, just sort of felt that he was, you know, welcomed in many, in many ways and had been part of it for a long time, but, but it did sort of highlight, it's like, okay, well then, you know, if these are your values and this, attention, then what are you going to make a part of your strategic plan going forward? What kind of board um, development, what kind of board training, what kind of, you know, what, what, what are the actions you need to take that are going to ensure that you can continue to, you know, or that you stop doing that and start doing something else that you welcome people in so that they don't experience that. I mean, it was a real gift. I mean, and that's the thing, you know, for if someone to say, hey, you know, like, when you said X, I felt Y, it is such a gift that that person has given you, right? I mean, really, it's just such a, you know, I mean, how else are we going to learn, right? I mean, we've all got our work to do, right? And so um, we're not going to be able to, to get any better unless someone is generous enough to point out where we're sticking our foot in it, right? <laughs> yeah. And, um, you know, even if, even if the, the reaction in that moment isn't the perfect one. I certainly can think of many times when, you know, I've been given feedback and I, you know, my immediate reaction is to get all defensive and come up with 6,000. I am, my brain can go so fast with the 6,000 reasons why that was fine and I should have done it and all that. And, and, but then, you know, later calm down and sit with it, think about it and um, come back to the person with something a little more rational, a little more reasonable and absorbing it and being able to learn from it. Mm -hmm. yeah, so it's not oh, for sure, you know, we're human, it's not always in the moment. But the, the closer it can be, I think, I think that's what I'm striving to do is have it in the past, I think probably between the moment if it happened to me, and then when I talk to the person, it might be very far, far apart. So just trying to get that closer and closer together. Oh, man, <laughs> I have spent years and years, you know, like cultivating my ability to get feedback, like into a superpower, because, <laughs> because I'm right there with you. It's like, I can feel it in my body, you know, I can feel that, uh, like that, that t panic, tension, whatever. It's like, oh, God, you know, and part of that isn't like how much of that is sort of white perfectionism and all the rest of it, right? It's like, oh, man. So we were just grappling with all kinds of stuff. But yeah, but that being able to calmly hear the feedback um, and just be grateful for it, right? And it's, yeah, and it's I mean, I don't know if it's it really generational, <laughs> but I, I certainly didn't grow up learning, having, you know, having that modeled for me or, you know, it, right. it was all about the debate and prove that you're right. And so to unlearn all of those very well honed um, uh, muscles or whatever, uh, ways right. of thinking, ways of being, it's, it's kind of unpacking that and like relearning it, unlearning it as an adult um, mm -hmm. just takes even longer. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And that's where some coaching can come in. Right. So you've got. Oh, OK, so let's say so you're going back to your system now. You've got uh, you've got all these great values in place and you've got, uh, let's say, somebody in the development department who is really raking it in. Right. They're doing great. They're raising all this money. It's really awesome. But, you know, like they're stepping on people along the way. Right. They're really not being collaborative or respectful or whatever, right? They're just being very inconsistent. Their actions are being very inconsistent with that. And so the options are 
you coach that person into changing their behaviors, right? And you go through all, you know, like really, as you, as you said, like this sort of delicate process of, you know, like hearing, like getting the, giving the feedback, getting the feedback, it, sort of integrating the feedback. But if that person doesn't change their behaviors, then, I mean, you got to let them go, right? Because you can't have somebody in the system who's flagrantly stepping all over people and disrespecting the and not acting in a way that's consistent with the values um, and get away with it because it's horrible for morale. It's like bad for the, you know, we talk about values and what that represents. I mean, that's part of an organization's reputation, right? Um, so word gets out and this person's like getting away with all this stuff and morale is really bad and you're like about to you mutiny and, um, you know, it's just, you know, there may be a hit in the short term if that person needs to go. But in the long term, like you've really made the right decision because you can't have somebody acting out and then expect, you know, other people to behave consistently with the values either. So that's really hard. But that is also part of, you know, how do you define sort of the how you promote people, how you reward people? I mean, it all has to be consistent with the values too, right? Right. And and if you've actually had that conversation and and you've um, defined what the values are, defined, you know, how those show up, what behaviors are going to demonstrate those, and then everyone's come to an agreement, when that person then acts that way, you have so much more of a a platform to kind of work from because you've had an explicit conversation about you know what behaviors are acceptable and what aren't and so you it's just so much easier to start from there than to have started from no conversation at all yeah where you right. in, you in, kind of infer or it doesn't feel right or you know it seems out of alignment um but then the person might be able to argue i don't know in some way that it is uh from their point of view Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Right. Or they just may not see it. Right. Maybe nobody's ever called them out on it before. Sure. There could be some level of obliviousness. Right. <laughs> right. I mean, they think they're doing great, you know, because they're looking at the numbers. Right. So. Right. Yeah. And and and, um, you know, may have believed that 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 value of just bringing in the money is the most important, whatever the means. Yes. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, it's you know, we're starting a new year. And um, it's a good time. I mean, it's always a good time to assess, but generally the values get um, sort of revisited when you're doing strategic planning, right? Um, and I mean, a lot has happened in the past year. So what I do sometimes with clients and there should, when you're doing strategic plans, obviously there should be something in place where there's sort of regular checks on progress to plan. But, um, you know, if an organization is about half to two thirds way, their strategic plan, then it's it it's a good time to maybe take a moment to really think about um, how you're doing, right? How you're doing with the mission, vision, and values. And uh, I got this actually from um, Scott Blanchard, who um, and and I've done this too with sort of strategic planning check-ins, right? So they're basically four questions and. If you're looking at this, it can all be framed through the values, right? So, um, so all right. So you take you're you're kind of taking a breather and you're reflecting on the plan and how you're going with the plan, right? So one question is, of course, what have we done that we meant to do? Like, what were those things that we planned to do? We did them. We can check them off the list and you know claim some victory and go forward. And then, especially given this past year, um, you know, what were the things that we did that we 
didn't set out to do, that we didn't plan to do, but it's really, really great we did that, right? Like we learned about online virtual collaborative formats and we revamped our communication strategy or whatever it is, right? It's really great we did that given the events over the past year. And then you can claim those as accomplishments and, you know, and celebrate those as well. And then there's sort of, um, you know, what is it that we plan to do that we actually don't need to do anymore for whatever reason, right? Like those things we thought, like the moment has passed, right? We thought that we need to do them, but nah, we're, we don't need to do that anymore. You could just cross that off. And then of course, there are the things, um, you know, like what is it that we plan to do that we still need to do? And, or do we need to adjust those things? Or do we need to adjust how we're doing those things? And so that's where the values conversation can come in as well. Um, so I think that that's a, you know, another way to kind of begin to bring values in, into the conversation and also check to see you know, where the organization is. Cause you know, I mean, you know, and I know this mission impact and martyrdom and all that. I mean, there's so much that um, nonprofit staff does. They're so overwhelmed all the time and um, just giving the organization a break to reflect on this stuff and think about how they're doing is they're, what they do as well as why they do what they do I think is a great is a great break yeah I think people are, are I've experienced working with clients sometimes um, there's there seems to be a, a fear almost with strategic planning that it might just pin you down um, <laughs> or that you have to you have to get everything in there uh, to make sure all the co- bases are covered but I say to clients and then you know to, to, to also not only finalize the plan but finalize the process that you're going to do to do exactly what you're talking about in terms of that, those regular check-ins. I mean, it doesn't have to be all the time, but at some period, you know, some set of period, whether it's a year, halfway through, you know, to check in, where are we? Um, and, and ask those questions that you're asking, kind of what, do, uh, you know, what do we need to continue doing? What, we've, what have we done? What do we need to stop doing? Uh, yeah. And then, you know, what did we do that we didn't expect? Um is, is really, really useful. And, and for me, you talked about implementation planning, I think, um, kind of mapping out how you get started, but not trying to map out every detail all the way through. Because uh, yeah. then again, you get, you get, you know, you end up with this binder that goes on a shelf and, or holds up, you know, computer monitors and doesn't get much use otherwise. Right, right, right. Well, you're reminding me of um, a client I had. So this is, um, I love this client too. Um, One of their values was to be a learning organization. And one of the ways that they put that into practice was that the strategic plan itself was an opportunity for staff to do that. So the themselves came up with sort of their own mini strategic plans that were all aligned with the larger mission, you know, values, objectives, you know, and, and they came up with sort of their own implementation plans as well. So here's sort of the goals, here's the strategies, here's the tactics, here's the time frame. you know, notes about, you know, when we need to do this and who's going to be responsible, accountable, what the, me- what the measures of success are, what the budget impact is, you know. So that was really interesting that that was part of, you know, a way in which they really brought that learning organization to life. And they, you know, they're doing their own research. Um, they decided to take the organization in a particular direction and have become wildly 
successful, really a mature organization doing some groundbreaking work and then creating all these feedback loops between the client and researchers and staff. And oh, it's just amazing. They're doing great, great work, but they're really putting their values, you know, really putting their money where their mouth is. It's pay- It's really paying off in every way. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. We'll be back after this quick break. Mission Impact is sponsored by Grace Social Sector Consulting. Grace Social Sector Consulting helps nonprofits and associations become more strategic and innovative for greater mission impact. Download free resources on strategic planning, program portfolio review, design thinking, and more at gracesocialsector.com resources. We're back on Mission Impact. Well, at the end of every episode, I play a little game and ask people an icebreaker question. So oh, we're going to shift to that. Um, <laughs> so I'm um, curious, what was your first job? Oh, oh, okay. This is a good one. And I want to know what your first job is too. Um, <laughs> so my first job was, uh, I grew up in a little, little bitty town in Canada called Niagara-on-the-Lake. And um, uh, it had... Uh, this little itty bitty, like less than 2,000 people, this little itty bitty town. And it had um, a theater called the Shaw Festival Theater. And in between the matinee and evening performances on a couple of days a week, can't remember what they were now, um, the cast and crew didn't have time to go out and get their own dinners. So they needed to get fed. So that was my first job. Uh, my name is, you know, Rosalind, as you know. I found uh, a friend of mine named Cecilia, which Rosalind and, and Celia are, are characters in a Shakespeare play, by the way. So the actors always got a kick out of that. But we would, um, you know, we had our budget and we would do the shopping and we do the cooking and the serving. And the, it was just, <laughs> we did that twice a week. Um, I think we might have done it for a couple of, at least a couple of summers. And that was a really fun first job. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think mine was a little more boring. Uh, you know, being a babysitter oh, was my yeah. first job. So. Interesting. I was a terrible babysitter. I, I, I didn't claim that I was a good babysitter. I just said I was a babysitter. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my gosh. Oh, yeah. So I can't remember. I must have. I guess I must have been. It was cer- certainly pre-driving. So I must have been like you know, 12, 13, 14, somewhere in there. Well, that's very entrepreneurial of you. Yeah, I guess I did did step up my um, babysitting (laughs) gig because I specialized in, uh, I have a brother with special needs. So I uh, babysat for families who had kids with special needs because they could not, you know, they often couldn't find a babysitter. So, you know, I got double the rate of like, you know, instead of just $1 an hour, I got $2 an hour. Wow. And I actually found um, most of the time that those kids were easier to take care of than, um, you know, typical developmentally kids because they, they, they didn't know to, they thought they saw me as an authority figure. Ah. So they would listen. Huh. <laughs> so I, I felt like I was doing one over on the parents because I got paid more to take care of kids who actually listened. <laughs> So what are you excited about? What's coming up for you and what's emerging in your work this year? Oh my gosh. Um, Well, I'm actually moving. um, Of course, I love doing the strategic planning work. And, um, you know, and like you, like, you know, sort of 
putting making sure that there's some implementation piece and check-ins for the organization as they go um, also moving into a little bit more professional development work um, i've been working with a colleague of mine um, this year we've begun open forums on race so we're having these open conversations every couple of weeks and we'll continue to do that into this year which i'm loving that um, and so deepening you know my own work around race and privilege and um, my professional work on equity um, I think those are the things I'm I'm excited about awesome yeah how about you what are you excited about oh just I have a um, I'm working with a number of clients on strategic planning and 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 just really enjoying that because I think as you said it, um, it it provides a you know that that time out of time that time to just step away and kind of look bigger picture, which, you know, in the, as you, as you described the kind of overwhelm of nonprofit work, um, it's hard to have that space and time to step back and, and think differently or think critically about the work that you're doing and, um, you know, how to either, and my hope is really just to help organizations kind of turn down the, the noise and turn up the signal, just like get, get clear, like that Mm -hmm. focusing a lens, Mm -hmm. um, that and and it just gives people a chance to uh yeah have those conversations so that they're not all working from different assumptions mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. We're thinking about your uh, one of your other guests, Nayaka, that talked about mindfulness and when she was sort of, you know, like each of us individually really have to take a little bit of time for our own clarity, right? So, you know, I'm sort of thinking, you know, in terms of how an organization engages in mindfulness, you know, just by stepping back and getting that clarity as an organization. I love that. Your clients are lucky to have you. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you. So how can uh, people find out more about you and uh, get in touch? Oh, sure. Well, I am on Twitter, um, Spiegel Consultant. Um, <laughs> we can put those things. And, we'll put the links in the show notes. Yeah, without the G at the end. But so I didn't have enough, whatever. Twitter didn't let me put the G in, but I don't know. Um, so a little bit on Twitter. I'm on LinkedIn. I have my own website, um, Spiegel Consulting. Um, I think those are the three, big three for now. Okay, and we'll, we'll put links to those in the show notes. And of course, and of course notes, my so. email, Rosalind at Spiegel Consulting. Can find, can find. Yeah. You. All right, well, thank you so much. It's been a great conversation. Thank you it. so much. Thank you. In our conversation, Rosalind makes passing reference to the concept of a process consultant. This term is often put in contrast to the expert consultant. What does this mean and why does it matter? Consultant is a term that really covers a lot of territory. There can be a lot of specialties, what sector you work with, what function you consult to. For example, I'm a consultant to nonprofits and associations, and I focus primarily on strategic planning. Describing someone as a process consultant is about the approach that they take. As a process consultant, when I'm working with an organization to do strategic planning, I partner with the organization and I hold the process while they hold the content. So it is not my job to write their strategic plan or tell them what their strategic priorities are. It's my help to facilitate a process that gets them to come to agreement about what their key strategies and priorities and action items are. And in contrast, a strategic planning consultant with with an expert approach might come in, analyze the situation, and then make a, a set of recommendations about what the organization should do. 
I don't particularly like the terms process and expert consultants because it makes it seem like process consultants don't have expertise or are not an expert. I have expertise, um, but it is in framing up a constructive process for your group to make decisions about its own future rather than telling you what I think that future should be. Thank you for listening to this episode. You can find the links and resources mentioned during the show in the show notes at missionimpactpodcast.com slash show notes. That's missionimpactpodcast, all one word, dot com slash show notes. Please take a minute to rate and review Mission Impact on Apple Podcasts. It help, helps other people find the podcast and we really appreciate it.